Welcome to Generation C, a podcast by Corpus, where we explore creativity, growth, and the good life. My name is Carl Kronika. And my name is Julius Gable. Today, we have Erika Harkett in the studio. Erika is an experienced marketeer, most recently as the VP of Marketing at Simple Feast. She's born and raised in Norway and started out her career doing PR for the Rusebus we all know and love from Scam. We're curious to learn more about Erika and get to know her perspectives on how to build strong brands, how to deal with PR and fast-growing scale-ups, and what bigger corporations can learn from the world of startups when it comes to brand and marketing. I stumbled across the communication industry uh, already as a teenager, actually. Um, so when I was around about 18 years old, I uh, was appointed head of PR for uh, Norway's biggest party. Um, I don't know if you heard about the Rus. The Rus? The Rus, yeah. So uh, when we graduate in Norway, we have this huge party uh, that Ruchibus. lasts for Rus. Yes, exactly. You sound a little bit Russian, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, it is a little bit Russian actually. Um, so yeah, uh, three weeks of partying from first of May until May seventeenth. Uh, okay. And then those the red. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yes, we're all dressed in red or blue, depending on. Uh, uh, what I've type of scum? One episode of scum. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, the whole concept is to celebrate, uh, but the downside is that um, it's actually up until your exam at high school. So it's uh, it's criticized. Uh, let's just put it that way. Perfect way of prepping to. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So so I was uh, appointed head of uh, PR for for this. Um, a committee is sort of protecting the Rus and also organizing everything for the Rus and, and the party itself. And um, <clears throat> uh, I will, to put it mildly, I needed some media training to be able to do that because I was, uh, you know, defending young uh, and uh, drunk uh, teenagers all over Norway. Um, and how old were you at that point? Were you yourself? Like, I, I was a Rus myself, okay. yeah. Um, and maybe it was, I think my father really wanted me to do this so that I had to stay a little bit sane. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I stumbled across Gelman Kisa, which was the, um, uh, one of Norway's most prominent PR agencies at that time. And it still is. Um, and, um, uh, I experienced how to, you know, uh, get tr- media trained. And I also got that perspective into, uh, the whole industry, and I just loved it. Uh, and I, I thought, okay, wow, these people really know how to, um, how to frame a debate, how to influence the important decisions. Um, and I thought, I want to I wanna become one of them. <laughs> so I started as a personal assistant uh, for the CEO. Um, and um, next to my education, of course, uh, and, and uni- university. And then I just uh, stayed there for, I don't know, seven years or so. Uh, and at that time, the whole media landscape uh, also emerged um, and developed a lot. Uh, so at that time, it was very isolated between, you know, communication and PR and then advertising and public affairs. And it all had sort of its own discipline. Um, but then 
after the rise of digital media, um, you, you had to be more holistic uh, and you had to create that narrative all the whole way around from corporate communication to product communication, brand building and so on. So after some time, I also um, was introduced to, to Try, which was the Norway's biggest uh, advertising agency. And I thought that it was extremely amusing with, with the creative ideas. And this was sort of isolated um, uh, for the creative agencies at that time and not for communication, if you know what I mean. It was sort of like a, a line, a split between the two. And Try at that point uh, needed someone to help build their sort of public relation arm because they had the big clients such as Statoil and Telenor and so on, uh, Tina, just like Ala here in Denmark, um, where you're very dependent on, on public opinion. So together with the spin doctor of uh, Jens Stoltenberg, which is now, he was our previous prime minister, now he's um, general secretary of, of um, NATO. Um, and uh, I sort of partnered up with him and, and helped him build this sort of department inside Try to help support these uh, companies. Um, Super interesting. Just one thing I noticed uh, with your story is that both when you were at the at GK and also at Try, you you managed to work directly uh, uh, with um, the CEO at, at GK and then also uh, this guy at at, uh, at Try. Like, how how did you do that? Uh, because I guess that would be that was like a super good learning experience to work that close up. Uh, with someone uh, who were in the into the top of the food chain, you can say. I mean, in in uh, Gelmankise, I was a personal assistant, so <laughs> I was basically, you know, uh, yeah, helping I mean, with the calendar uh, coordination and events and stuff like that. Um, but but yeah, um, it, it with with Sindra uh, Bayer, he he wasn't CEO at the time, but he was heading that department and. At that time, I was also uh, a senior myself, um, eventually. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's more of a coincidence maybe, but of okay. course you want to be close to where the decisions uh, yeah, are yeah. made, right? And um, and right now, actually, Sindra managed to uh, grow, uh, try uh, Råd, which is the advisory part um, as a agency itself um, that's... I think they have 80 employees or something uh, today. So, okay, wow. yeah, but it's also just like you know, there's I think there's quite a lot of people uh, who uh, talks a lot about that. It's more about the the person you're working for rather than the company you're working in, in the sense that that's, that's where true. you get your your learnings from. So, it is some achievement I think in itself that you have been able to to sort of navigate yourself to get close to to someone who seems to be really good at what they're doing. But I think it's uh, common for most agencies that you have a lot of talent. Uh, and I don't know why, actually, how they manage to to uh, attract a lot of talent, but I think it's a good school for a lot of things. And, and how did you, did you make the bridge then into um, like the world of, of startups when you, you then joined like the other side of the table uh, and not like yes. worked in agencies anymore? So in short, so I started in the sort of PR, communication, public affairs sort of uh, arm. And then I ended up more in doing that, but bridging it to the advertising and creative side. Um, 
And then I figured, you know, if you really want influence, <laughs> you have to uh, understand the, the tactical sales side of things as well. So digital marketing. Um, and so that's when I moved to Denmark with my uh, now husband, uh, Danish husband. Um, and I also, I, I brought Try with me to, to Denmark. Uh, and then after my first child, I figured that I had to sort of find uh, my... Uh, yeah, a Danish company, basically, to to uh, be totally integrated uh, into to um, uh, the Copenhagen scenery as well. Um, so, so this is when I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do a change, um, and I would really like to uh, understand how it is to be on the client side of things. And so, what, what toolbox would you say that you brought with you, like after leaving um, the agencies that you have been in? I think the most important thing that I brought with me and that I'm still clinging on to today is to try to look at yourself from the outside um, or your your company, the company you're in, uh, and really try to identify the, the I call it the three different identities. Um, this is something I've learned from Gil Mankisa. Uh, and it's very useful uh, because if you uh, look at yourself uh in the way that you want to look at yourself and you think you are your self-perception, right? Uh, and then you uh, look at yourself from the outside through media, through relation, through, you know, what do people say about you and so on. And then you look at who you want to be and the importance of bridging that gap. And it's so easy to become blind uh, after some time because you get too narrow-sighted and you you get too much into the details, right? So it's really hard to keep that helicopter view. And I think the importance of that is something that I brought with me. Uh, and it, it clears your head because it, if you once in a while, you take a step back and you talk to people about your how you're perceived, um, then it's also easier to create your strategy of how what you need to, to change and, and what you need to do to, to get to where you want to be. It makes a lot of sense. And, and, and like the reason for you joining the like the world of let's say startups or like challenger brands or at least like new companies wanting to make a change of, of uh, yeah wanting to make a change why was that and why do you think uh, your toolbox with with what you just mentioned uh, was important uh, at that point i mean bottom line everything is uh, sort of uh, stakeholder management and change management right uh, and I've always been very engaged into the sustainability uh, agenda and, and different transitions, rather it be digital or, you know, the green transition. And yeah, I, I think I'm naturally drawn into companies and challenges that deals with these types of, of things and also identifying the main challenges that you need to solve. Uh, and it doesn't, it's it's not a rocket science at all, uh, but it's so hard to, to uh, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, in your everyday business um, and operations. And and how did you sort of uh, decide that now it's going to be Perlins that you you started working in? When this opportunity popped up, I thought that uh, it's this is a perfect sort of stage for a company to be in as well. They were ready to scale globally. Um, and they also had need had some, you know, a need for some rebranding and so on, and and also to get that sort of consultancy mm. view from the outside before they sort of um, 
uh, yeah, took the next uh, step of building the organization. So I thought that the the timing was good uh, and that, you know, it was a good fit. Um, and and I loved working uh, for Parallels. Great technology. Everything was uh, super exciting and, and such a great agenda as well. Um, and I mean, when we also figured out we could put sensors to those cameras. Uh, and for those who don't know, so Parallels is a dive camera basically designed like a GoPro for divers. Mm. Um, and the great thing about it is that it was very community-based uh, and it's something with a global perspective uh, that you're able to, to scale. Um, and then at the same time, um, designed for, you know, being present in the moment while diving. Um, so we, we figured we could add sensors to the camera so that you could also capture ocean data meanwhile. And then you could start mapping the ocean. So if you got the whole diving community and then after, you know, some time more water sports uh, as well to tap into that, you could basically help map the ocean. So super exciting. Super exciting. And when you when you started there, I mean, you you started in a role as, as a CMO, but how how was it like, you know, were you... Were you hired in and then sort of expected to build a team and everything, or, or how did you sort of land on the ground? And what what was the first thing you started doing when you when you started in that role? Uh, I think the 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 first thing I did was to think of this as my own client because <laughs> that was the only you know way I I knew. Uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to do this by the book now to to you know do the right things in the right order. I got a lot of freedom to to build the team myself uh, together with the CEO and also the co-founders, and um, I don't know they they gave a lot of room for for doing that uh, from from scratch. Um, and also we did rebranding, uh, which is also, you know, normally you should try to avoid that, <laughs> uh, especially when you come in as in, you know, someone from the outside and the first thing you need to do is to change the logo and, you know, change everything they love. Uh, but I think they were quite open-minded for understanding the need for for scale and the need for uh, for doing uh, that exact thing. So, um, yeah. Um, oh, wh- why, why was there a need for a rebrand at the point? So it was uh, it was a very uh, technical sort of uh, uh, niche uh, perspective at that time. Going from you know the hardcore divers in Denmark to also hitting the more vocational divers uh, worldwide, we just we had to do um, a change. Um, I think that's quite interesting. I think that's actually also something that we we've stumbled upon quite a few times also when, when working with uh, some of our clients has been like when they start by targeting a very niche segment, but then later on want to like, of course, like commercialize and and broaden up the audience. That's kind of sometimes at least can be a hard exercise to to, to scale that uh, also in the communication. It's super hard. And I think that's why, you know, there's so many entrepreneurs failing a lot of times before they succeed. And I think the reason for that is because you have to learn how to draw the full house, at least draw it, have the drafts ready uh, before you start building. Uh, and you have to look ahead, right? Five, ten years ahead, where you want to be, uh, where, where, where can it scale? Um, and I think uh, if you if you manage to do that well, you could, you, and of course you would never know, but uh, but at least you can have an idea, um, and then. Because it's really expensive to do a rebranding, and especially for a startup. 
Uh, and I, I wouldn't anyone, I wouldn't recommend anyone to do that, and um, unless it's super, super necessary. Um, I mean, I think in Simple Feast we had three, four rounds of okay. of rebranding. Also visually, uh, yes. Okay. And uh, if you ask me now, I would say that was a total waste of money. Because <laughs> okay. you know, when every everything boils down, it's it's not about the color or the logo, right? It's uh, it's more the consistency of what you're trying to say. But it's important that people understand it. And if it's too complex, then you have to try to to yeah, um, try to simplify it. And that's what we did with with parallels. Yeah, because I guess like <clears throat> sometimes it can be necessary depending on the state of the what's there already, right? With the with the logo and the and the visual identity, etc. I mean, for every time you uh, you change, um, you need more touch points to be able to convince the consumer, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to think of it like like that. Uh, if you do a rebrand because you want to streamline everything so that everything looks the same, then it's a good idea. But if you do it just, if you have a brand already, <laughs> then you, you sh- really should consider, uh, yeah. And then after Parallels, you joined uh, Simple Feast and were there for about two years? Yeah, it feels like 10. It feels yeah. like 10. And... Uh, <laughs> Of course, watching from the outside, it, it looked like quite quite a journey. Um, and sadly, also of course, uh, Simple Feast didn't didn't manage to um, yeah to to sustain the business. But but either way, I think like the the brand and like the case that was built was uh, was super super cool. Um, but yeah, could you tell a bit about that that journey and how you got involved and and how it ended? Sure. I mean, so uh, while Corona hit us hard in, at Parallels, and eventually also the reason why we had to close the door um, at the end, um, Simple Feast or Jakob Junk, uh, the CEO, I had some chats with him and I just thought that he was super visionary and I love the product as well. Um, so I thought, okay, uh, amazing to continue that, you know, uh, green transition journey, uh, jumping from the ocean to, you know, the food system. Um, so, so I joined, um, I think in 2020 or so. Um, and, um, what can I say? It's been a roller coaster. <laughs> it's been a ride. Um, I think we had a really, really good product, uh, product. Uh, and I think the biggest learning is that it is super hard and expensive to uh, be a front runner and to educate consumers. Uh, We were a little bit early uh, so that we had to be sort of uh, educational in our communication. Um, And, you know, with the same sort of uh, perspective of going from a niche product, only catering to vegans and vegetarians, uh, to be able to scale uh, and be able to convince flexitarians as well. And this is where the impact comes in, right? Because uh, if you convince a vegan uh, person to just eat a different vegan product, yeah. it's not necessarily something with impact, right? But if you manage to um, get people to who normally eat meat five times a week to eat it only two times a week, then that's that's a huge impact in total, right? And, and what were your hypotheses in terms of getting 
uh, more like let's say flexitarians or non-vegans to to kind of convert to at least eating less meat. Uh, how did you view Simple Feast in, in this case as a vehicle to to drive that case? And what did you do in order to make the brand uh, all about that? Well, I think uh, we were definitely uh, the challenger. <laughs> so we had to provoke, uh, at least in the beginning, to sort of create that big splash. And this was with Cosby Christensen and so on. Uh, with, uh, I don't know if you've seen that campaign, yes. <laughs> that where we uh, compared uh, uh, meat with, uh, or hot cigarettes, dogs with, um, yeah, yeah, exactly, cigarettes. Um, and that was very efficient uh, and perfect brand timing uh, at that what time. What did that do for you guys, actually, when, 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 when that launched? That was in 2018 or 19 or so? Yeah, so that was before my time. Uh, and that, that was also why I wanted to join the company. Okay. <laughs> so I created <laughs> so that type that. <laughs> of... Yeah, yeah, I think we got a lot of uh, applications as well after that campaign. Um, but yeah, um, well, first of all, if, if you're unknown, it's super efficient to take that sort of uh, challenger. challenger position and and be uh, super bold about it, right? Uh, and not be afraid to piss people off. Um, as long as you do it with, you know, good facts and good arguments uh, and you you never become fanatic, this was with a little bit of humor as well. Um, I think that's a really good way to sort of, uh, yeah, make sure that you're you're visible. And visibility creates trust as well. And in the beginning, you can't afford uh, running the huge brand awareness campaign. So you need to have something that travels uh, on its own and that spreads organically. So, so that, I think that was a very clever uh, move from from Simple Feast from the very beginning. Um, but then, of course, then uh, eventually people got more and more educated about the uh, sustainability agenda around this, um, and people got more open-minded towards eating more plant-based. And then we had to do something else, right? Because we couldn't then continue being that, uh, you know, hitting on the same yeah. Yeah, uh, arguments. So then it was more about building the trust uh, of becoming um, something that's familiar. You know, people are always very hesitant of, of new things. So if you can make it as familiar as possible. And this is also the challenge for a lot of the plant-based alternatives, you know, like Beyond Meat and so on, that you had to make it like a burger for mm. people to actually, uh, you know, choose it. It's like like an alternative, but kind of a, yeah, <laughs> like a, a new Looks category. like meat, like, yeah. right? But then it also seems a little bit fake. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah. You can also argue that it's a bit silly that you want to move away from meat, but then you try to make something that's identical to meat. You basically want to make meat just with other ingredients. Exactly. And, you know, the the whole vision for Simple Feast, which I loved, and the reason why I also joined the company was that it, it, it was without compromises when it also comes to processed food and the health aspect of it. Um, so for at Simple Feast, it was super important for everyone that we did not have any extra additives or, you know, did a lot of processing or we, but served basically fresh food uh, for people, fresh, healthy food. Um, but anyway, what we had to do to try to make sure that we weren't uh, associated with a stereotype of a vegan person, um, we sort of looked to, you know, Burger King and the the big uh, 
uh, fast food chains. And then we thought, okay, what if we uh, make a little bit fun of that sort of image uh, with flame, that you, you need flames to make your food sexy and so on. So we, we, we made a campaign where we sort of use all the tricks that the fast food chains would use in an in a advertising commercial. Um, and that really worked. Uh, we got super great sales numbers on, on that. We made the food look super delicious, of course, because it, it was delicious. <laughs> but we also used some, some tricks and some humors, being very frank about how we try to convince you uh, that this is super uh, good and uh, indulgent, right? Juicy, yeah. So that's like one of the tools we, we use. But I would say familiarity using, you know, and also be very, very persistent about how you look and how you feel uh, and try to streamline that is, is super important so that you don't have to start all over in the touch point journey. And, and how would you say, like, starting out a new business, for instance, uh, in the case of Simple Feast, then taking on the, the challenge approach, getting to a point then where you have to kind of rethink, okay, what position do we now want to take in the market? Also considering what's going on in the world, what type of perceptions do people have of this change that we're about to drive and what role can we play here? And that involvement as a brand, how do you stay conscious of that so you don't get stuck where you started, if that makes sense? But how do you keep evolving the brand? Well, I think if a, if a hero, sort of established player, um, acts like a challenger, then you very easily become a monster. If you know what I mean, like if, yeah. if, if you, if you, as a very established player, start hitting on your competitors, it doesn't look good. Like what, one <laughs> only good because you're like smaller, you can kind of, you're allowed to. Exactly. And, and luckily, well, I mean, we got a lot of venture capital to grow. We were still a challenger, uh, but you, there's a sort of a, a journey also within the challenger role, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you can't hit at the same, you need to, um, you need to evolve with the society. Uh, and, uh, the hot dog commercial wouldn't work as well today, maybe, because people know, people are aware, yeah. right? So whatever. I don't think it would have gotten the same attention that it did, uh, you know, back then. So you have to, like, change your your topics and, and so on. But, but Simple Feast was definitely a challenger. Um, and it was far away from becoming that established, you know, hero still. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's different degrees of, of a challenger too, I, I, uh, I believe. Of course. And the, but, but again, the, the challenge is when, you, uh, when you're launching in different markets at the same time, then that itself is, is very uh, demanding, right? So entering the Californian market, for instance, is a total different uh, you know, situation than here in the Nordics. How so? I mean, they're more mature, at least in California, uh, mm. when it comes to plant-based and so on. On the other hand, the meal kit concept was not very familiar. Was that one of like the, the biggest challenges you faced expanding to the US market? Did, did it sort of become a bigger challenge that you had first foreseen or what happened there? The competition is in, immense <laughs> in, yeah. in California for these type of, of products and also the convenience part is, is also it's a different way of pre prepping and eating food um in california than in denmark people don't even have an oven and i think a lot of scale-ups fail with their u.s expansion 
because everyone is like, yeah, I know it's hard, but we're different. Uh, and I mean, sometimes you are different and, and you make it, but, but it's, it's super tough uh, and it, it needs full dedication. Was that what made Simple Feast go down in the end or what, what did no. we say went, went wrong? I think there were so many, so many factors happening at the same time. Um, and I think uh, we were challenged uh, already, uh, but we we could definitely make it work. Uh, we were very close to seeing a great working functioning business in in the Nordics, um, and uh, we were starting to get a grip of what did work and our sort of product market fit over in the U.S. as well. Um, but then you had. Uh, the war in Ukraine taking a toll on the prices. We had to raise our prices for an expensive product, uh, uh, you know, um, as well. Um, and then the recession and then, yeah. And, and prior to that also Corona. So it was just too many factors making it really hard. But I think our chances would have been to, to succeed. If you ask me, I think everyone has their different opinion on this, but I, I think if we took some pressure off The, the timings here and um, and also we're a little bit better at focusing on the right things at the right time I think our chances would have been better for for um, and we were very very close to to make it so it's it's uh, it's a shame what was the difference was it just raising the next funding round or was it to achieve yeah. some key kpis or raising the next funding round in a time where uh, That was difficult. That was very, very difficult. Yeah. If you if you didn't have a profitable business at that time, uh, and we were very close to having that, okay. Um, then it then it's uh, at that time it was too hard. How how like uh, how far in advance did you sort of realize that we might not make it? Was that like six think, months before? Or? I mean, I was on maternity leave uh, okay. at this time, so uh, maybe that was why it didn't <laughs> yeah. turn out well. Yeah, well, I th uh, I think we believe that it was gonna work until two months prior or one month prior. Okay, yeah. I think we really we thought that it we would make it. Do you think this uh, downturn that we have experienced lately in the, especially in the in the venture market, uh, that Where investors, especially now, ex expect startups and scale-ups to, you know, instead of investing in growth and and constantly, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries of how fast you can you can grow, mm. and rather focus on profitability and like yeah. stable uh, businesses. Yes. Do you think that change um, will affect the way that uh, people go about the way that they also yeah do market expansions and prioritize their budgets for marketing and, and branding and, and And everything going forward. Well, personally, I hope so because I th I think that it was pushed to the level of uh, at a unhealthy stage. Um, yeah, the, well, the pace the pressure, and the growth didn't make sense at some point. Exactly, maybe. because you need to if you're for, so the the big different phases are you know find your product market fit, get your ducks in a row, build the organization and scale, uh, and do that in the market where it has the biggest potential with least effort, right? Um, and if you have to do all of this at the same time, um, it's just, it's, it's too stressful. <laughs> and it's, I think it's, it's really, really hard for, for uh, even if you have the most 
or the best product market fit. Uh, it, it's just really, really hard. Scaling itself takes time and you need to tweak and turn and you, ne- you need to be present where you grow and, and so on. And, uh, you know, getting your organization with you in that process, is it's very demanding. This, uh, this period with, with Simple Feast must have been like a, a super busy period for you. I know at least from for myself, especially in more busy periods, it's more important for me to have some good habits or hobbies around the job to sort of make the weeks make sense and um, go through it with a good mental health. Like what what do you do to sort of uh, stay sane, stay sane <laughs> through uh, a journey like that? That's probably been super busy. Well, I did mention Corona, right? Where everything was just a one long online meeting. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I will never, I will never uh, end up there again. Hopefully, uh, because I I know, you know, what that does to you. Okay, yeah. Um, so that was a really tough period. Yeah, I mean, I I gave birth to my second kid uh, five weeks too early in the m- middle of all of this, and I think that that was one of the main reasons why that happened. So I mean, it it's it's really important what you say to to and also I think you you make better decisions if you're able to pull out and you know put your mind to something else for some time. Um, and I mean, I'm happy that I'm uh, lucky to have uh, two great guys or three, including my husband, <laughs> and uh, I'm spending time with with them and. Uh, friends, you know, it's really good to get out of the door and be social. At least for me, that works a lot to to be out with friends and uh, exercise and, you know, all the stuff that people do to sort of uh, listen to podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe do like a, a day wave, like uh, the people next door. Yeah, downstairs. At least. <laughs> oh, yeah, downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's maybe why some some noises are coming. Yeah, for the for the listeners, if but anyone can a, hear. That's such a great idea to do the rave in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah. Because, you, you know, did, me with small kids. Well? Uh, not right now, but <laughs> yeah, bef- just before, right? Maybe yeah. uh, the listeners can can enjoy the, the rave the tunes. Yelta well. from, from, from Plugin, who we also did an episode with, who, um, uh, yeah, downstairs they are throwing this midweek uh rave like it's not raves but it's like dance parties sober dance parties at the middle of the week uh so that's the base that we can maybe hear uh, in the bit of a background <laughs> i love it i mean it makes so much sense when you have small kids <laughs> to you know do all the party in the middle of the day exactly it's perfect um and and now uh now now you know it's a it's a new chapter for you um and we talk, talked a bit about it before. I mean, first, maybe it could be interesting to hear what you're doing now, but but then it could also be very interesting to hear like what kind of process you're going through right now in, in terms of like figuring out uh, what's, what's next. Yes. And uh, well, as I said, I'm, I'm enjoying myself right now, uh, trying to reflect uh, on what will be the next chapter. Um like many others do uh, these days, um, and uh, I do have some freelance projects that I'm, that keeps me uh, busy um, as well. Um, and then I am a venture partner for a, a supply chain fund called uh, Nine Realms, um, and they uh, are looking for tech companies who are um, uh, 
making supply chain more efficient in many ways, both uh, in terms of carbon, but also in terms of uh, costs. Uh, and, and that is a dinosaur industry with plenty of impact and potential. Uh, and especially after Corona, that has become very visible. So, so that is super exciting. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really trying to take my time and not to rush into the you know, next big commitment. Uh, and uh, I'm actually enjoying doing these freelance uh, projects here and there uh, and be able to be fully responsible for my own time. Uh, of course, you always have some clients you need to please, but then on the other hand, you can you can really uh, set the agenda yourself, right? Uh, and, and enjoying that. Um, and then I'm thinking that the next adventure for my sake will, I mean, as long as there's impact, it could be anything. Uh, I think that's the most important thing for me uh, right now is to know that it's within an industry uh, that's in a transition, changing towards something better. And, and for me then to use my tools and my experience to help that um, or accelerate that transition, that will be my only goal, basically. In this podcast, we, we, we like to explore the um, what we call like the, the good life uh, and what makes the, the good life. And I, and I guess the, the current phase that you're in allows you to really uh, put together the puzzle of, of how, how you want it, at least going, going forward and all with all the learnings that you have had starting out in the, in the world of agencies, building up your, your toolbox kind of, as you mentioned, as, as a, like a school uh, for you. Uh, and then you that brought, uh, and then you brought it to, uh, parallels and simple feast and now you're kind of doing freelance projects and, and all sorts of different um, things kind of taking your time until you then decide to to move into kind of the next big thing or like the next commitment what what do you think would be crucial for you which criteria would um, be needed to to be checked off uh, in order for you to kind of build the platform for you to have the the good life that you want Flexibility is, of course, one key word that everyone is talking about now. And I do have two boys, so of course that is important. And I, but I think Corona has done something to to that sort of perception. Um, and I've also changed my, you know, uh, being a consultant back then. It was all about the hours I could cash in, and uh, and I've learned that time is money in that sense. But you don't necessarily need to work 12 hours a day to create impact and, and do great work. Uh, and I think, yeah, I've, I've sort of changed my way of thinking how a, how a um, day of work have to be for it to be a good, efficient day. It could also be to just think, you know what I mean? And, mm. and then when you then finally get the chance to sit down, you just spill it all out and then it's there and then the plan is ready you know it's so it's I don't know it's I've changed my perception of how I need to work to be efficient and and how I um, uh, manage my time basically what what do you need to be efficient then well I think it's just variation uh, to if you're stuck then take a walk you know get inspired I think the importance of of removing yourself from the situation you're in if you're stuck mm. instead of just hitting your head against the wall. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's the best trick I use myself at least. Um, that's a good trick. Yeah. Did you have a good trick? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no I have no tricks. <laughs> I, 
I, I've started doing this where I um I I put my timer on because sometimes I can get a bit like restless, so I constantly need to be doing something. But if I just know that I need to focus on one thing, I would put the timer on for an hour and then say, okay, now I'm doing this for the full hour, no no uh, no distractions, and that actually makes me really uh, efficient. But that's uh, that's true, and I mean it depends on what type of person you are, right? Uh, yeah, Because yeah, totally. I also need some deadlines. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I was also just curious, like, yeah, is yeah, there anything individual to you that just works for you? But you know what? After you know, you don't have kids, right? No. No. Okay. So <laughs> maybe yet. that I would say that I'm, after I'm twenty six, so maybe yeah. uh, five years from now or so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyway, so but after getting kids, uh, I'm sure a lot of people have told you this before, but efficiency is not a problem anymore because no, no, no. you you only have the hours you have and you really want to use it uh, and you enjoy using that time because you know suddenly you're stuck with one kid you know yeah. screaming and the other pulling your head uh, here so yeah i think efficiency that like i think that's why uh, parents are getting at, at least i've become a lot more efficient if you're efficient from Bef- prior to your kids, then you're going to be a super, super human being after getting kids. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it's also because you get so good at prioritizing what's most important and do it first because you know that there's like a... Yeah, and a, you, ju- you just need to get shit done, right? Because yeah. there's no other time. Like no, there, no, no, there's exactly. no time to just uh, procrastinate or do something that you, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it can be a sleeping pillow to have, you know, all the time in the world because if yeah. you don't get it done that hour, then you can just extend your, your day for another hour. So. Exactly. Uh, and you can't do that as a parent if you, you need to pick that. up the kids at four o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a mom, how does your workday then look like? Would, when would you come in? When, when do you leave? And because I, I, I've heard that there's quite a lot of parents that like, comes in early, then they leave early, then they pick up the kids and then they work for a few hours in the evening as well. How, exactly. how do you build your day? Yeah, uh, I would say, so in at nine, I'm not a morning person, so I can't do earlier than, than nine. <laughs> um, and then you just, well, luckily I have a, a husband too. Uh, so it, uh, he also helps um, with uh, picking up the kids early and so on. Uh, and the kindergarten closes at, you know, four four thirty, so you have to go pick up your kids around that time, and then we split the week, uh, and then you just need to be super efficient. Mm. And then, of course, we try not to work at night, but that's really hard. So during the whole simple feast sort of yeah. <laughs> uh, journey, I um, I think I had like I only had a break doing, you know, uh, some fast food for the kids <laughs> uh, and then uh, this is super easy stuff. Uh, and then eight o'clock straight to bed, then right back to the office and then California woke up and then meetings until 12. And then it started like that again the next. So I only had like free time between four picking up the kids and then until eight. So four hours. And then the rest of the day was just, you know, back to back. Yeah, and sounds, then you then you start intense. then you start living for the weekend, and then you exhaust yourself because you have such a you know Packed uh, weekend plans. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then you uh, and then you die. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's that's the perfect way of ending this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> so you uh, you you work with Casper Hultin now uh, that we have also met a, a couple of times and and. Uh, 
great guy first of all and and also super successful with both Pecan and Podio but how how did you meet Casper uh, and and why did you decide to to start doing something together uh, that was through a friend uh, uh, of ours um, who connected us um, and yeah I deeply admire him as a person and professional uh, so when he had this um, project I thought uh, great then let's do that uh, yeah and great collaboration so far super cool I was just curious <laughs> yeah yeah but he is he's very um, he's um, definitely someone to learn from uh, for sure and you can notice that from the m- minute you start working with him that he yeah. he knows what he's doing so that's super uh, inspiring that was it for our conversation with Erika we hope you've enjoyed it and as always you can find more episodes of Generation C in your podcast app or on the Cobus website my name is Julius and my name is Carl and you've listened to Generation C Thank you.